What's up, demigods? Welcome to Camp Half Pod. That's right, we got a new title for a new type of episode here on the Amateur Nerds podcast feed. We're talking about the new Disney Plus, Percy Jackson and the Olympians TV series. Heck one yeah. episode at a time. Well, well, this not one's this two week. this one's two episodes, and then it'll be one episode at a time. My name is Tyler. I'm Condra. We're the amateur nerds. And we are here talking about episodes one and two of the new Percy Jackson and the Olympians show. Episode one was titled I Accidentally Vaporized My Pre-Algebra Teacher, which, as Condra observed, is the same as the chapter titles from the original book. They all seem to be. The, so they've released the 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 episode titles for the whole series one. And not every chapter from the book is necessarily represented, but all the episode titles are chapter titles. Chapter two, which we will talk about later, is I Become Supreme Lord of the Bathroom. Classic, classic Rick title there. <laughs> so like iconic. We're just going to sort of move through this chronologically, talk about what we liked from the show, and go over some of the major things. Part of the premise of this show is actually similar to the premise of our other show right now, wherein Condra has read the books and remembers them in great detail. I just reread them recently. <laughs> I read the books when I was 12 and don't remember much about them, but I was a fan of the books and, you know, probably read The Lightning Thief at least twice. So I remember the the big picture things, and I saw the movie with Logan Lerman. No. <laughs> so that counts. Uh, no, it doesn't. Even Rick would say no, it doesn't. <laughs> All right, so we start out the show with Percy Jackson himself staring at something in the distance. It's a green light, and he is Jay Gatsby. No, <laughs> it's a yellow light, first of all. <laughs> I like, so something I noticed right away was Percy's opening monologue to the show is the opening paragraph to The Lightning Thief. Something akin to, look, I didn't ask to become a half-blood. It's dangerous. If you are, you should run away because it's frightening. Yeah, and I mean, it, it sets the tone of this, like, silly, it's for kids... It's also got a little bit of scary in it. There's monsters. Like, it It right away introduces you to some of the terminology that's going to be used in the show slash book. I'm going to get very confused because I'm going to keep reverting to calling it a book because I, like, talk about the book a lot. Yeah. For reference, our actor playing Percy Jackson is Walter Scobell. And he's... kind of his first big. Yeah, he, he, his over, his voiceover definitely sounds like it's a kid talking. That he, was one thing I commented right almost right away was like, oh, he sounds like he's 12. Like, his voice has not broken yet. He's He maybe looks a little bit older. Yeah, he looks like he's 13 or 14, which is totally normal. You know, like better than the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think very much sensical to cast someone who doesn't look like Jake Lloyd in The Phantom Menace, where it's like, well, you're too small to like be a be like a good actor still. Yeah. You have someone who's slightly older. And yeah, so the voiceover and the, you know, the initial, like, it's just him sort of walking, like, and looking into the distance. The voiceover is the is the sort of thing that you're experiencing at the beginning. Yeah. And then it hard cuts to Percy Jackson and the Olympians as the title image. And then we get into the story. So we just have a little prologue 
which is lifted directly out of the book. Sort of a wink to the audience, even being like, "Hey, we, we got you guys. <laughs> we're here. doing the book." Rick, Rick's like, "Okay, guys, don't worry. I got you. Let's throw." <laughs> You're the in intro. good hands. And honestly, I feel like I'm in good hands. Like initial reaction is like, "Yeah, this is a good time. The effects are good. The effects are fine." They don't, they don't go out of their way for a lot of the effects. Like episode two, which we're going to talk about briefly has very few special effects in them. Which I'm not mad about. (laughs) So, but we're not on that yet. So. So we we, then get like a. Sort of an opening voiceover montage of Percy's. As a child? Yeah. Percy's like everything catching up to where he is now at school. Struggling. Through bullies, through learning issues, through teachers that aren't listening. He yeah. also is experiencing all the after effects of being a demigod, including seeing monsters in the world. Yeah, it's the sort of life was never easy for me setup, which you're going to get at the beginning of most books or movies that are about, you know, this one person. The teen hero. Yeah. um, You know, this is a little bit more of tell over show yeah i i didn't love this as much i was surprised in the sense that you know your first harry potter opens and it's like still a little bit mysterious they're not doing voiceover you're just living in the moment this is a little bit more like and when i when i saw these things nobody else believed me and i had to go to a counselor which is fine (laughs) i do think though in the spirit, so I'm gonna constantly like do this of where I'm gonna be like, yeah, in the book. No, that's that's what we're expecting why we're here. Hearing. That's yeah. whether the people are listening for like, oh, I want someone who's read the book recently to tell me what they're doing right and wrong. And Percy expressed his frustration and distrust towards authority figures, especially teachers and the other administration of schools, frequently in the books, but in ways that were. He was reluctant to go to school. He didn't like going, like, he kind of serves as a foil to Annabeth in that remark that Annabeth never got to go to real school. So, like, she's like, are you kidding me? Like, you're in school kind of thing. But him having to experience teachers being really mean to him a lot, like, they didn't, they kind of glossed over some of that. But, like, he had teachers that were mean to him because he had trouble paying attention. He had trouble reading. He had... There was more going on to him, and they all they saw was, oh, well, he's been kicked out of this school, this school, this school, this school, because no one was giving him a chance. Which I, in the show, that Percy's going to find those right mentors in the real world. They really make a hard line between the real world and the magical world, which I really wouldn't call it a magical world. I don't know exactly what you mean, hard line. Well, like, so when his mom and Grover and Chiron are explaining to him, like, the mist. That all added up very much to me, like, as being pretty similar to the books. Like, yeah, there's the world that you're used to. And then there's also this other secret magical world that you haven't seen yet. And he's experiencing it. All right. So the word magic. magic. It feels too Harry Potter. Okay. I, I guess... I, when you, if you're explaining it to someone, you would yeah. just say it's magic. You, you don't say it looks like magic, but it's real. You just say like it's kind of like magic. Because, well, I think my issue is the ones that wield magic in like there's 
There's people who wield, wield magic, magic in this universe. In terms of like, but yes, the, gods the witches. But powers aren't are, magic. Yeah, they're, they're supernatural, it's, but they're not magic. Yeah. And like the monster, like the Minotaur is not magic by any means. I see what you're saying. I think it's like, it's, it's writing a very specific line. <laughs> and of like, if you're trying to streamline a show, not even streamline, it just... You're it, establishing the boundaries it, of your world. Yeah, I know. I just... Magic from, like, I, I categorize these books as fantasy. Yes, absolutely. They're fantasy. Mythology-based. Like, yes, they're fantasy. But the magical fantasy feels different than another type of fantasy book. When you're in a book and you're, you have a certain number of words on a page that you can use to explain lore and world build, you can be a little bit more choosy with your words. Yeah. Whereas a show, you're doing all these things through visuals, mm-hmm. and the show's visual aesthetic is defined, for the most part, with this opening setup. See, I got us back to where we were, no. where, you know, Percy thinks he sees a Pegasus. I leaned in because I was waiting for Condor to correct me and say, yeah. it's not it's a n- Pegasus, it's, it's a winged horse. Yeah, and they <laughs> actually do make that delineation in the book, so... No. So he sees a winged horse on a rooftop and then he sees uh, like a giant armored rhino, which then he realizes is a garbage truck. Or is it? Or is it? Um, So that's the sort of like, oh, it's, you know, I see things a little differently than if I'm not like the other girls. (laughs) And I thought, actually, I thought the rhino was interesting. I was like, what's a rhino in Greek mythology? It could have just been a large bull. But then maybe they were worried people would get it confused with the Minotaur. Yeah, and it's armored. I feel like there are... See, and now this is where I could see an armored rhino if we're talking about the Heroes of Olympus series and we're talking about New Rome. Because Rome definitely played with rhinos and elephants a lot more than Greece did. Yeah, that would make a little bit more sense. But... It's not the rhino's not a not a big deal. Um, the the whole point of the intro, unlike what you're you, you were sort of talking about earlier with the terms of like establishing Percy's relationship with school and authority and mentors, it's establishing his in in this version. It's establishing his a loneliness and you know sort of neurodivergence as expressed in the the quote unquote real world by his demigodness. But that leads into his friendship with Grover. Which I love Grover. <laughs> I love him in the books. I love him here. I think it, I think the the actor playing him. Yep. Um, Ariane Simhadri, who was in another Disney project, Spin, the DCOM. Which we've talked about twice on this show <laughs> before because I forgot. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, he's doing a good job. He also has, you know, a higher voice, which sells that he's a kid. A teen. A teen. So Grover comes in swinging hard with Mytho Magic yeah. cards. <laughs> and I right away was like, we're already in Mytho Magic? Okay. Because, like, Mytho Magic is not a thing until Nico comes in. Oh, in the books? Yeah, because Nico's the one that's... Like, Percy, when he meets Nico, is like, oh, I've heard of this. And I was into it when I was, like, really little. Like, when I was, like, so seven. So it's, it's, a, it's a fantasy author who came up with something in the third book, um, but actually would make more sense if it was always around. 
I think... But it's like in Harry Potter when you're like, oh, it took for the fourth book until they came up with this concept that obviously would have been around in the first book. You just didn't talk about it yet because you didn't, you didn't come up with it yet. Yeah, I I think it's the it's a I fine it, retcon to make. No, absolutely. And I'm like totally like I was excited to be like, yeah, it took you a second well, to realize well, what I had said. Because they didn't because they yeah, because you they didn't say the word myth, the magic card. Grover just puts a card down with a Minotaur on it, and the Minotaur is wearing underpants, which is kind of like, oh, it's kind of like a a gimmicky trading card thing where you have the monsters, but they're funny, akin to your you know garbage kale garbage pale kids type humor. But that's the point of this Minotaur, like the real Minotaur, is he wears tiny waities, <laughs> and that's like the chapter title too, like from that chapter. Is like, I didn't remember that detail from the books. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's like because it's like part of the chapter title and everything. Um, so I, I liked, and I liked how then Grover, I, I'm sorry, I'm jumping a bit, but Grover's like, yeah, I was using those cards to train you in the same way, Mr. Brunner in his history lessons in, in Percy's myth class is teaching him and being like, Percy, you need to pay attention here. And this is important to you, Percy, like focus, dude. And, and the way Sally is also taking on this role of teaching Percy in the show, she's teaching him the myths and being like, oh, this is important for you to know. And like, I've named you this because of this. We never really got that. Like, there is an explanation of why she picked Perseus because he gets a happy ending, relatively speaking. But I think this, the the additional concept that she plays into her story to Percy when we see her talking when he's little. Yeah, so let's let's get us up to that scene because I did want to talk about that scene. So we established the friendship with Percy and Grover. The Mythomagic Magic cards are a fun little um, sort of Easter egg for the fans of the books, as well as establishing, oh, there's more here than meets the eye. And we also meet Nancy Boba Fett, the bully. The big bully for Yancey Academy. Yes. So we're at Yancey Academy. We're on the field trip at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Dun, 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 dun. (laughs) Pardon me. Are you Mrs. Dobbs? (laughs) So. Uh, No, she's not. (laughs) So they're at the museum and Mr. Bruner gives the like lecture of like, this is all very important. These myths and stories are what you are, what you are. They are all your past and what humans are are capable of which from a grand like mythological interpretation like yeah you know story exists in all humans and represents the the greatest of what we can achieve both in terms of sharing stories with one another but in terms of the feats that are described then yes it's a little bit of like the the history comes alive in you type lecture we see percy sort of struggling to read on his paper. I like the dyslexia effect a lot. I think Seems pretty similar to what they gave us in the movie back in the day. Probably. I, I feel, yeah, I think, unfortunately, visual representations of dyslexia are not usually very varied and definitely don't reflect the full extent of people's experiences with dyslexia. Yeah, one wonders if, you know, one person with dyslexia said, yeah, that's pretty much it, and... It's yeah. been called a day ever since. Yeah. It's kind of hard to describe that sort of thing visually. In the museum, Mr. Brunner tells them to, you know, write uh, write what the statues makes them feel. Pick a statue and write how you feel. Which, as a teacher, 
It's not a not a not great, great prompt. But like, Mr. Rudder is not a teacher. I I once did take a group of students on a field trip to a museum, and instead of having them like just generally write what they feel, we challenged them to write a poem about something. Okay. And some of the poems, you know, were just about the piece of art that they saw. And some of the poems were about the experience of being in the museum. It gives you a little bit more flexibility. Yeah. Because you're saying, hey, look at this thing abstract and then write something that's a little more abstract. As opposed to, how does that statue make you feel? And you're like, bored because I don't want to be here at this museum. But anyway, that's because I'm a gifted teacher and Mr. Brunner slash Chiron, not so much. He's just been doing this for 3,000 years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he doesn't often get the field assignment. But we get the flashback with... Percy and his mom looking at the same statue in the same spot. And we get this conversation about, you know, why did you name me this? What so does it mean? He's looking at a statue of Percy as holding Medusa's head. Yes. And he asks, why would why did I get named this? Is it because I'm a hero and heroes kill monsters? And we get this interesting exchange of dialogue which i don't know if it's from the book it is not from the book and i loved it i loved sally questioning why do you assume he's a hero why do you assume she's a monster like yeah and i think that's what we're seeing now in modern retellings of classical mythology is the re-examination of past understandings yeah, so Sally says not everybody who looks like a hero is a hero. Not everybody who looks like a monster is a monster. I feel like you sort of said it, but I just want to say it one more time, just for the audience's sake. And I totally agree that that was one of the, you know, oh, like, oh, I don't think this was from the book, and I'm really glad they included it moments. Both for what you're saying in, ter- in terms of, like, the historiography, if you want to call it that, about Greek mythology and anything in the ancient world reevaluating like why did we always call this person the main character of the hero while this person was an outcast or a villain in the story mm-hmm. we're reevaluating all of those things especially in terms of medusa who has been a character who has been you know reevaluated as a victim and a survivor in many ways and especially uh, in relation to Percy's father, <laughs> Poseidon, like there's a lot wrapped up in Medusa and Percy and Perseus. Um, but more so it's thematic. It's like, it's not just like the sort of SJWs <laughs> talking about, you know, <laughs> modern social trends and examining mythology, shoving this into my action show. No, it's literally no, relevant to, to. Yeah, because Percy's going to come across people who look should, like villains should, should be heroes. Yeah. People who look... I mean, we can just spoil it. <laughs> no. All right, we won't spoil things, I guess. But there might be people who Percy thinks are good guys, but aren't. And who he thinks are bad guys, but aren't. So, there. There we go. <laughs> but I think it's a nice way... Of, I, I really... And also, it gets to Sally being an incredible caregiver. A kind person. Like... Sally, I was saying this while we were watching it, Sally's one of my favorite characters in the Rick Riordan, Percy Jackson universe. I love her as a character. I've always really enjoyed her. I think she's an incredible person. She makes a lot of sacrifices for Percy. Yes, but in ways that she still finds fulfillment in herself. Like, she, yes, she does a big sacrifice in marrying Smelly Gabe, which they don't call him yet. <laughs> but we're go- I'm sure we're going to get there. 
I love Smelly. I or um, maybe they've updated it. I don't know, but I'll probably still call him Smelly Gabe. You can call him that, yeah. Because he's Smelly, and his name is Gabe. All right, but we're still in the museum. <laughs> we'll get to Smelly Gabe. So there's, some of this other stuff we'll be able to fast forward through a little bit more, but yeah. the museum stuff is museum interesting stuff and, and important. All right, so this was something I wanted to talk about. She explains that she names Percy after Perseus because... He has a happy ending. <laughs> because he has a happy ending and also because of the very specific experience of him and his mother being sort of locked in a chest and cast off in the ocean and sort of having to endure that hardship where they had to persevere mm-hmm. and trust in hope and believe that things would be all right in the end. Hold fast. Be brave. That sort of That's- hold fast... That's going to be our, our line, like our, our... Seize the day. Our Uncle Ben. <laughs> yeah, with great power. Yeah. I was trying to give you a Newsies hook. Sorry. <laughs> but um, my memory from the book was that he was named Perseus because... Not just the happy ending thing, but because Perseus was a sort of lucky hero. He sort mm-hmm. of had fortune on his side... And she felt that that would give her son some luck on his side as well. Yes. That's like something very specific that I remember from yes. the book, which they didn't directly say in the show. No, but definitely in the sentiment of he survived, he managed to get through things like it. it yeah. Inherent without using the word lucky. Sorry. I am looking. I couldn't remember the godly parent of Perseus. I remember Jedi, but it's Zeus. Yeah, it's yeah. Zeus. and I was like, "Why can't I think of that?" Which I think is another interesting thing if you think about Percy being a forbidden. I don't love. They're using the term forbidden, forbidden child, child. Um, which also sounds like a Harry Potter thing. <laughs> that's why I was like, "I don't love this." Um, but him being uh, a child of the big three, and he's not supposed to be there, and in the same way, like Jason is called Jason to try appease Hera. Kind yeah. of thing. For reference, Sally Jackson, played by Virginia Cull, who has been a pretty successful actor. She was in Big Little Lies, as well as seems like a ton of Law and Order over the years. So yeah, I, I'm really enjoy. I really enjoyed her performance in the the first episode. Condra and I made the realization that we're closer to age it for her than we are to Percy. And the other child characters, although I don't have Virginia Cole's birth year on IMDb, but usually you can Google that and find it out. But even if we're going canonically with Sally, Sally is a young mother. That's like part of her canon is she yeah. like gave up college to raise Percy. She has a child later on in the ser- in the in, in the universe. So, OK, I feel like we can sort of fast forward through, through a little bit of this, this museum-y museum stu- stuff because the battle stuff. Um, so unfortunately, it gets slimmed down considerably from the book, which is fine because the episode needs to end with him getting to camp. Yeah, and there's sort of a, a little it's bit of battle there's like pacing important. that there's pacing stuff that you have to do to get there. Yeah, so he gets in the little spat with Nancy mm-hmm. and quote unquote pushes her into a fountain. Which does that happen in the book? Uh, is it a fountain? It's a fountain. But it's is... more like the water grabs her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so the what happened? Like Percy looks like he he moves his hands and there's like this wind almost that like pushes her into the fountain. Where in the book it's more like the water grabs her and pulls her in. So she still ends up in the fountain either way. <laughs> it's just how it looks. And they're saving the big water grab for the next episode. Yeah. And so. 
but everyone sees him push her. And so as he tries to run away, Mrs. Dodds reveals herself as a fury. Yes. Well, in in the show here, it more it more comes like as he's standing there. Um, Mrs. Is it Dodds or Dobbs? Dodds. All right. Mrs. Dodds just sort of starts walking towards him and goes, oh, you're the one I've been looking for. And then sort of magically transforms into a fury. She sort of her wings her, come out. Her leather jacket becomes her wings, which I loved that they kept that detail. And then in sort of instead of sort of, of having like an introductory action fight scene in the museum. Yeah, like in the book, Percy runs into the museum and like the fury chases him and Mr. Brunner comes in and is like, Percy, catch the pen. And Percy's like, why are you giving me a pen right now? So one thing we did gloss over is Percy breaks his pencil when he breaks his memory trance um, with Sally and Mr. Brunner comes over and is like, you'll need this. (laughs) And here's a pen. It's dangerous to go alone. (laughs) Yeah. So he gives him Riptide. Yes. Not named yet. Not named yet. But yeah. So um, Mrs. Dodds just sort of comes over tackles Percy onto the ground and he unveils the sword in her chest killing her, and then everyone gaslights Percy into thinking that she never existed. Fast forward to him getting kicked out of school for pushing Nancy into the fountain. Grover backs up Nancy and is like, yeah, Percy did. Which... Betrayal on Percy. It feels like, but also Grover's pretty much telling the truth. Percy did pretty much walk over and push her, even though his he is telling... Percy's telling the truth in that he didn't touch her. Yeah. But Grover's also being like, well, he said that he wanted to stand up to her and that he was thinking about doing that. And then he walked over with the intent to do that. And she ended up in the fountain. Like, I kind of I kind of I kind of liked how both both sides were telling the truth. And it later comes to be known that Grover told the truth to get Percy out of the school scenario environment Mm -hmm. where he would be in more danger than if he was with his mom. And taken directly to camp, basically. We get then Percy going home. Yeah. To Smelly Gabe's apartment. He gets a little pep talk from Chiron. He's like, I don't want to hear it. He gets home to Smelly Gabe. Gabe is not as disgusting as he could be portrayed as. They've toned him down. He's not playing poker with the boys. He's playing online poker now. Which I kind of liked. Felt like you could have done like a sports betting I, I, I honestly thought he was going to be like, when Percy made the comment about the pretend poker, I was like, oh, is he sports betting? Especially because that just feels so timely, but maybe that but, wasn't. <laughs> well, I think that's the strength here is that there are some bits of it that I was reading and listening to some of the pre-production, well, the like pre-release stuff and like they want it. It's not set in the mid 2000s like where the book is or it's in the late 20 like in well it's early- hard to say because when they were in front of the met there was like an old-fashioned like food stand in front of the yeah, museum where it's at, like and- a dollar for water yeah so it was but like also percy flosses yeah i think when you're doing this sort of magical realism stuff it doesn't really matter no but i think and when you say- <laughs> betting would have hurt the and when you say percy flosses you're talking about the dance yes <laughs> Although he may have good dental hygiene too, I don't know. Anyway, Gabe gives him the hard time that we we expect Gabe to give him, and he's like, "Well, where's my mom?" And hard times, hard times. Gonna make you wonder why you even try. 
such a good song. <laughs> such a good song. And Sally is sitting out in the rain on their fire. Big vibe. Oh, Big honestly, vibe. Honestly, Sally. I'm turning I've been into there. Sally. I've been there. I love this. <laughs> Except no magical child. She's connecting with the rain. <laughs> with the water. And and we wonder who Percy's dad is. <laughs> Although it could be Zeus at that point, too. Yeah. But, like, Percy this whole time is like, who's my dad? And everyone's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and we love him. So Sally comes out and says, Percy, I'm so happy to see you. I believed you this whole time. I told and then, your principal off. <laughs> and then she tells Gabe that she's taking him to Montauk. They have a funny little like power play back and forth between her and Gabe where I... you'd be like, oh, this is not like a wholly abusive relationship. Yeah. Not she the knows way... how to fend for herself. Yeah. It's not. I was ex- like, yeah, I was. I mean, it's still not ideal. It was it. They were able but to it turn it into a little better. bit of humor with the like D'Angelo's. Mm-hmm. I don't want to watch the Knicks alone. Like it was a good joke. Yeah, instead of how dare you not be here to make your seven layer dip for me and the boys <laughs> as I throw my beer can on the ground and yeah. make Percy go get me another one. Like yeah, yeah. I I do like this like slight cleanup of Gabe. I mean, it's still not great. I don't I don't like it in terms of like a characterization thing. Like smelly Gabe. Like. You know, it's an opportunity to like have a gross character on screen. We're, you know, we're not not talking about the the, you know, most insane gross characters of all time. He's not that guy from Monty Python: The Meaning of Life. No, but he's giving us a chance to be like, okay, make this ham it up a little bit, right? Especially a show told from a child's perspective. Like, make the gross guy gross. Give him like sideburns and a greasy mustache, like. I think the smelly Gabe in the movie had like a hairy mole or something. <laughs> yeah, it was a little too far, right? Yeah, yeah. You gotta yeah. find the balance. I don't know if they found the right balance here, but in terms of the mother and stepdad relationship, I felt like that was a comfortable line to set that wasn't like, hey, let's get into parental abuse right now for yeah. a second. Like, no, it's not what this story is gonna be about as much. Yeah. We'll see then if they take the revenge on Gabe later. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see how how that bit ends. Because maybe, because cause maybe that you know, in in retrospect, rubs people the wrong way. It's like, well, you didn't need to do what you do to that guy. Because <laughs> apparently, we're not spoiling things. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. Do your fr- do your friends intimately know Percy Jackson? We're not gonna spoil it. It's fine. I like this idea. Okay. All right. So they go to Montauk. It's raining. Bad. They, they're they in this little cabin. Sally starts explaining things to Percy. She met this guy on the beach. He was <laughs> noble and wise. <laughs> but who was he? <laughs> who knows? And then grow, uh, Percy's upset. He's like, "Why? Th- this isn't real. This isn't like you. Why are you I know giving these, me these stories? I know these things aren't real. It seems like you're just trying to make me feel better. And it's, it's like that's just even more insulting. But Grover comes knocking at the door and Percy's like, Grover, I don't want to see him either. So like everything's character wise, like everything's stacked against Percy right now. Mm-hmm. And we're getting the sense that like he really is in the dark and things are going on that are beyond his control in terms of like, you know, the equivalent of Hagrid coming to fetch Harry from the Dursleys. Hey, this feels, you know, we've gotten more character in this than we do in necessarily the first 20 minutes of Harry Potter, because 
we know who, like, you don't know who Hagrid is. He's just some weird random guy. But Grover's Unless you've read the books. Yeah. But Grover's Percy's best friend already, and we know that. And yeah, he did something really weird, but clearly there's this thing going on that even if you're not familiar with Percy Jackson, like, something's happening. I rag on the Harry Potter movie a little bit. The Harry Potter movie does it really well. (laughs) Yeah, no, it does. No, absolutely. (laughs) But I think Grover coming in and being like, we have to move, the timeline's moved ahead. We have to go now. And Sally's like, are you kidding me? I had a night with him. Y- yeah. You said I had a night. And then they're like, no, you don't Time anymore. to go. So they drive to where the camp is, somewhere on Long Island, right? Yep. And they- Can you do a Long Island? Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> I normally say Long Island. Sounds so ridiculous. I'm sorry, <laughs> Long Islanders. But I, have, I know I got a bad accent too, so- <laughs> And then they start getting chased down by the Minotaur. In his tidy whities This scene gets a little bit elongated from what it feels like it should be. Get a long goodbye between Sally and Percy, which, you know, is necessary to set up the characters and how much he's going to miss her. But, you know, it's like, oh, oh no, the Minotaur is coming for like five minutes. Well, it runs up and chases him and Sally does some cool stuff with Gabe's car and like gets another car to hit the Minotaur and the other car rolls over and maybe the passengers are okay? Who knows? <laughs> They're not as important here no, as our as boy. No, not Sally. <laughs> oh, our boy. Right, yeah, Percy. our boy. Yeah, he's not the Sally. one we're trying to protect. Oh, we also had Grover's goat legs. There was a good uh, visual yeah. gag when Grover arrived where Percy's like, what's going on? And it, it we haven't panned down to look at his legs until like the final possible moment yeah. where it would be funny to do so. Yeah, Grover's like, don't panic. Things have moved ahead. And every so, every like other line, Percy's like, Grover? Grover! <laughs> and then Grover finally turns to him and he's like, Why are there goat legs in your pants? <laughs> just like, Yes, I love Percy. They're, they do a lot of good executing of like the, the classic the, jokes, the funny moments that are based on the character dialogue and the universe stuff. Like, yeah. It's not just that there's humorous stuff that happens in the universe in terms of like the magic. It's that the character is Percy's funny. Is funny. He's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> he interacts with the world in a funny way. Yes. Yeah. And Sally gets stopped right before they get into camp because she's mortal and sacrifices herself by taking Percy's coat because the Minotaur goes off of smell. And will follow the coat more so than the boy. Also a Harry Potter <laughs> thing. You may have blinded the basilisk. <laughs> Tyler, it's fine. <laughs> We're just going to live. We live in a post-Harry Potter world at this point. It's fine. <laughs> I don't deal with this problem all the time. <laughs> and Sally disappears. Yes, yeah. She's in the hand of the Minotaur. Gets crushed to death. She evaporates into a puff of golden wisps. And, and, but it looks like she dies. And Percy gets mad. <laughs> and he takes out his pen sword and goes to charge at the Minotaur, who is also charging at him. Hits him a couple times, but doesn't really do anything. Yeah, he gets like one good slash on, on him. The, on the horn. Right, you, do the, you do the run at, then dodge. Yeah. Slash. The, because the Minotaur can't turn directions well. Yeah. 
Percy didn't figure that out in this battle, though. Like In he, the book, you're saying? No. In the show. In the show? He didn't figure that out. The ba- This battle actually goes on, like, a little longer than in the book. Yeah. There's, like, more runs at each other, and, like, Percy's a little more frantic. But he ends up climbing on the Minotaur's back, grabbing his horn, and he, in one of his slices, he, like, weakened the horn, so he's able to pull it off and jam it into the Minotaur's head, and the Minotaur crumbles into dust. Much like Harry Potter sticks a wand up the ogre's, the troll's nose. Yeah, we did start <laughs> quoting that scene. But also, a la Bas- Basilisk with the sword. Yes. Kind of thing. But also, he's fighting yeah, the a min- monster. The Minotaur like, this is all classically also- based fighting. Like- <laughs> the Minotaur also bursts into dust, and the episode one ends with Percy In basically passing out and yeah. waking up in camp to yeah. <laughs> Annabeth looking over him Mr. and Chiron. Brenner. Yeah, and be like, "Oh, what? Where am I?" And, and be like, "It's okay, you're safe." And then welcome. Cut oh, to black. Oh, welcome. And- to Camp Half-Blood, or something like that. Yeah. Sally makes Grover swear that he's going to protect Percy. Yes. Which will be big. And she tells Percy again to hold fast, etc. Yep. So, episode one. Episode one. Episode uh, two. Episode two. We open with Percy... In the infirmary. In the infirmary, waking up. We get a little bit of... Annabeth being like... You drool when you sleep. Classic <laughs> Annabeth line. Here we go. Romance of the ages. <laughs> and then when he actually wakes up, Grover is there to talk to him, but Percy's not very excited to talk to Grover. He mad. And so he, he puts kinda, his pants on he, angrily. He, he storms off and says, I want to speak to your manager. <laughs> finds Mr. D. <laughs> finds Mr. D. Um, played delightfully by Jason Mansukas, who is, you know... A peer in the podcast sphere. We're not a peer. <laughs> Tyler, I want to set our expectations here. All right. We're colleagues in the sense that, that we, sh- we share we a We share a field. Yes. <laughs> in the same way, I will eventually share the field of the Asphodel. <laughs> <laughs> With bold, bold claim that you're making it to Asphodel, Condra, <laughs> not Tartarus. Tyler, I'm a librarian. <laughs> Things really have to change if I end up in Tartarus. And yeah, exactly. Gonna... You're a librarian. You're, you got to stick it to Elysium, my friend. <laughs> and I'm gonna say, Hades at least has some respect for the order that librarians maintain. So I'll end up in Asphodel. I'm not going to Tartarus. Yeah, all librarians are a little bit mean. <laughs> But just the right amounts. The feather balances out. D- wrong mythology. Yeah, wrong mythology. <laughs> no, but no. Only your best of the best of the best go to Elysium. And you're not the best of the best of the best? Okay, I'm trying to compliment you, Condra. <laughs> I'm realistic, Tyler. <laughs> so he finds Dionysus, played by Jason Manzoukas, who is doing well. Yeah. It's not, he's not Dionysus like... Dionysus is a hammy character to begin with, so he's it not, like, works. He's not super hamming it up. It's not like, oh, that character's hilarious, like you would expect when you... He's Peter Johnsoning him. He's drinking his Diet Coke. He's like, hey, go get me that bottle of wine. He's not stealing the scene, which is no. which is good, actually. You don't want the adult character to, like, take the scene away from the kids. There's a, there's a respectful distance being played here because he is a god. Yeah, absolutely. after all. Yeah, he refuses to learn his name. <laughs> yeah, he calls him Peter Johnson. Classic. Oh, we also forgot to mention the uh, capital G God, like Jesus joke. Oh, when man, Sally was... tells Percy like, that he's I, the son he's... of a god. 
No, she fell in love. He that she was in love with a god, and he's like, like Jesus, god? <laughs> like Jesus. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, I love um, Percy. And Dionysus does a little bit where he pretends to be His... Percy's dad, but then Chiron comes over and just goes, no, 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 no. He's being silly because he was told not to drink by Zeus, which explains the Diet Coke thing. That's a reference for us book readers. Yeah. And then Percy basically gets a tour. From Chiron, who gives him the lay of the land. There's a lot more statues in <laughs> in Camp Half-Blood than I was expecting. I don't yeah. know about you. It, I don't quite... Like, some of the stuff, like the strawberry fields, I guess the layout is a lot bigger. It, it actually looks a lot like what I would picture. Other than, like, the, the, the food, like, dining setup and, like, the main cabin setup. Like no, the main cabin, at least for Poseidon's cabin, totally. Her like, cabin like, is like not where right. Dionysus, like the big house. Oh, the big house. Like where Dionysus and like all the main stuff happens. Like no, I feel like that's that's described pretty similarly in the book. It's like a big farmhouse. I said that it's not what I pictured in my head. <laughs> it looks a little different, but everything else is basically as close to my mental image as I could picture. Um, so, but we we see the cabins. We go into the Hermes cabin. We meet Luke. Yeah, that yeah. Chiron's conversation doesn't really go he, much of anywhere. He's it's more a lore dump. Yeah, it's here's the structure of the camp. Here you're safe here. No monsters come in. Someone's got to claim you. Percy's kind of upset about that. And he's also embarrassed that. Chiron introduces him to the cabin, kind of embarrassed, like like a new student on a first day kind of thing. Yeah, um, the Chiron horse special effect, not great, not... but about as good as you can expect for something of this quality. Yeah, I like that he's constantly in a in a sports jacket. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, he's very professorial, as it were. Yeah, it it reads well for me. So... And then. Percy takes a nap, has a bad dream. Yes, so we've actually, he actually had a bad dream in the first episode, and in this episode. We get a little bit of this voice that's talking to him in his dream, and I don't remember the voice. It probably is in the book, but I don't remember what it is. It is in the book. I <laughs> can't say much more than that, I guess. Um, it's, it feels like it's a sort of a, re- a reversal, like the voice, the voice seems to be giving Percy advice, but it's probably secretly bad advice it's probably leading him to his doom dun, dun, dun. but you never know with the gods you never know like luke says you can't control what the gods decide they are doing and what they're not doing yeah so we meet luke who's sort of the first person to extend a hand to percy he literally percy's expecting to get bullied and he's like not today please and luke's like no i've been there i know what you're going through it's gonna be okay, <laughs> and it's not—it's like, not overplayed either. It's no, actually—it's it's actually pretty sincere. sincere. And yeah, no, I'm enjoying the actor playing Luke a lot. He is Charlie Bushnell, who. It seemed like he was in another Disney thing, but I don't remember off the top the of my head. Of a future president. Which, yes. Yeah. Which is a thing that exists. Yep. But didn't do much apparently. Yeah. And so we get a little bit of a of a of a grease Danny Zuko trying to find a sport that he's good at montage. 
with Percy. So Luke explains the concept of Kleos um, from Greek mythology. Glory. Glory. That is what Achilles is seeking. That is what both Patroclus and Cleopatra are named after, but in reverse order. In case you didn't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Condra's nodding like, yes, obviously, but um, glory to the father being the concept of both of those names. And, um, yeah, he tries archery, and then he tries forging. Which is pretty... Uh, forging's good. Yeah. I don't know if it was funny, but it was a good one, too. And then they they don't do, they don't do like, a third one. It's not really, like, a joke montage. It's more no. like... Well, it is a he, joke montage. But here's some things that this camp does that... Like, oh, yeah, archery. Something that maybe you see at another camp. But you also see people practicing sword maneuver... Like, technique in the background. And- yeah. What's interesting is that they, I feel like this is a little bit of a switch around from the book where the book might feel like it's like, oh, you're just kind of hanging out until someone claims you. Um, I don't remember this like, hey, try different things that are going to give you glory concept. I think the glory concept is being overemphasized here. I, he definitely, he starts in right a day, like right that first day and is like, okay, our cabin is expected to do this first thing. And then we have sword lesson and then we have to climb the volcano wall. Like, I think the idea is that from the book, maybe that like you try a bunch of different activities and if you're sneakily good at one of them, that's probably because you have this like sort of innate innate ability Mm -hmm. to do it. And maybe your parent will claim you magically. Which feels like subtly what they're going for in the show, but there's actually no like, no, you got to try something and and get glory, and then if you get glory, then that's important, and someone will like. Well, like, I think Percy is just peop- hyper focused on this concept of oh, if I get glory, the when other Luke- kids won't bully me, and maybe that will lead my need lead my father to have to pay attention to me. And Luke is like, mm, that's really not how it works, though, bud. But if you want to go explore things, I think he's just doing normal cabin thing, but in this weird lens of Percy's like, oh, if I find this thing. Going for the glory. Moving to the groove and we just won't stop. There um, we go. There's a callback. <laughs> I don't have the drop. So... <laughs> Yeah, we get it. We get this line, not well, not line is in a line of dialogue, but this through line of Percy being very resentful of his father. Yeah, and it almost feels like, in terms of screenwriting, this probably wasn't popping up as much at this point in the book. More like I resent my father for not claiming me yet. It's more, but it feels I'm like mad at my father for letting my mother die. It is feels what he's mad yeah. about in the book. It feels like it's. From a screenwriting standpoint, it's like, this is the internal drama of the character at this moment, and you have to foreshadow it now, because later, when you have this other stuff going on, you're not going to have a lot of time to talk about it when you're fighting Medusa and fighting all these other monsters. It's like, now's the time to set up. Like, this is my character's root mm-hmm. motivation. And I wouldn't say it's the cleanest of setups, no, but it is there. And I think it's accurate to Percy's experience. And I I think it fits in with the story. I don't think it's so far-fetched. Like, Percy's clearly never had a good father figure. And if he has this idea of his father and it's this god, and he's like, well, then why did my mother die? Maybe I'm not, I'm still not good enough, like... 
Yeah. We meet some of the other characters. We meet Clarice. Clarice Stalling. No, not her. That's Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. <laughs> um, Clarice bullies him. She's a child of Ares. Um, and she's very well played by someone named Dior Goodjohn. LaRue. Sorry, I was trying to remember what her last name was. And um, she sort of pushes him around. She chases him into a bathroom where Percy escapes through toilet magic. Hence the title of the episode. Yeah, so... Not only she wants him to say he's not as good as he actually is, like that she, he's lying about the Minotaur thing too. Yeah, she, because that's sort of his claim to fame at this point. And she's like, "You couldn't have done that. You're a weak little kid, like a twerp." Wow. <laughs> and he's like, "But I did do that. Like Percy's not gonna be." false and i think that's like a good character bit like to just show kind of more of who percy is is he's like i'm not gonna lie about something and he doesn't back down from a fight yeah and who who does it hurt if he did fight the minotaur clarice like but we're starting to unravel with luke that no one's gone on a quest in a while because chiron is hesitant of sending someone on a quest unless it's really really necessary and maybe is Percy this person that's going to bring this quest out? Well, this also happens after Percy's been asking about Annabeth, who sort of follows him into this bathroom scenario. She saw him. She's been make- sort of spying on him. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, are you the one? And Luke explains that she's been waiting to go on this quest to prove herself, too. Yeah. So there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of the campers have, Luke was the last one to go on a quest. Who's this other character that there's like, so so like Luke's talking to Percy and then there's this other character who gets a couple lines of dialogue just sort of to bounce off of Luke. It makes sense because like the Hermes cabin's supposed to be this like crowded. Yeah. yeah, Which didn't even feel that crowded, but that's okay. Um, so they, they do a little bit of offering to the gods. They explain the whole offering the food to the gods. I feel like they didn't milk that for as much as they could. You really, I really wanted to see the shot of them, like, s- scooping their best piece of meat into the fire to make the gods happy. And, like, really having to live with that sacrifice of, like, you know what? We really got to give it up to the gods, even though they're not doing much for us here. This is what we do. And, you know, it's very Greek, right? Everything you have, you owe to the gods. Okay, so before we get into anything else, Percy has this moment where he's sort of praying to his mom. He sacrifices some of his blue jelly beans. And sort of talks to her and be like, I wish you were here. I'm going to I'm gonna make dad recognize us and treat us better. I'm sort of talking as if he thinks his mom is out there somewhere, mm-hmm. whether metaphorically or literally. Well, he's, I think he's praying in the sense of she's in a higher place now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because the sense that like, uh, this is right after Luke explains, oh, you need to make an offering to the gods. You need to sacrifice something that they want that that you would want to, to show that they're more important than that. And then we cut immediately, not to Percy making a sacrifice to the gods, but to his mom. Um, which might seem to like go against this whole godliness and prayer idea, except it is very much a thing in the ancient world 
that your ancestors and had influence and on occasion right your your sort of your fam like the gods that your sort of household gods mm-hmm. that you have sort of uh, a mini shrine to in your house mm-hmm. and and forgive me if this is slightly more of a Roman than a Greek thing but yeah. I think it's a little bit of both yeah. Right, you have the gods that matter in your city, and you have the gods that matter in your household, and sort of t- tied up in that. Yeah, depending on like your lo- your specific location, maybe there's certain hill like. Or if you're a farmer, like you pray to the farming gods, and you any local rivers or something like that, you might also pray to that concept. Yeah, that the hyper localization of having a god for a river is Roman. But that the like the broader concept of okay. Well, in the water... in the Iliad, there's the whole river that Achilles fights. But you're not wrong. Yeah. Um. But this idea the, that praying to his mom, mom could be a thing yeah. isn't totally unrealistic. No. And then <sighs> we get Capture's flag. Yeah. Which is where we were guessing this was gonna end. Like this episode was gonna end with Capture the flag, and Annabeth is the cabin leader, and her and the Hermes cabin are on their track on track for winning their fourth capture the flag in a row, which would be like a record at the camp, which isn't really gotten into in the show as much. They maybe say that in a line. They did say it in a line. Um, Clarice is the opposing captain. It's like, Oh, rival fight Gryffindor versus Slytherin. (laughs) Boy. Like, this is a, Aries and Athena are two different yeah, sides yeah. of the war coin, so yeah, it yeah, very yeah. much makes sense. Like, yeah. So we get this little strategy where Percy is sort of set up as a bait for Clarice. Absolutely. And Annabeth gets her invisibility Yankees hat, which is another fun Easter egg type deal. I mean, that's pretty critical to her character. But they don't they don't go like and see it's a Yankees hat like no yeah. it's just there it's just yeah. part of the world yeah. Part of your world. What is it with you early songs? It's <laughs> almost like I'm trying to inject some liveliness into this conversation as if we aren't lively enough. <laughs> so, so so Clarice tries to beat up Percy. Yeah. Well, no, no. So Annabeth leaves <laughs> Percy alone and this is like by himself on what I assume is Zeus's fist because that's like where he's meant to be. Yeah, this is a like a geographical location in the book that you're referencing. Yeah, because uh, it's just like this weird rock in the middle of the woods. Percy, left to his own devices, Zizz, he um, flosses. floss dances, he, he pees on a rock, and, and he pats a, a lizard. Uh, yeah, some sort of lizard in the woods. Super and cute. then Clarice and, and then he lies down, face <laughs> up, face in the sky, picking at a leaf. I'm like, you know, you know, you do you couple other kids come over to attack him they're not supposed to maim or kill each other but ooh, she just might and she's got this sort of like magic spear that heats up or something it, it uh, has electricity wow and then he fights them off um you know he's kind of getting beat up and tossed around a little bit but eventually but he, he finds they end his up, footing they they sort of end up near the the river. water the river uh, where the, all the canoes and stuff are yeah and he start stringing together a little bit of a defense he's able to sort of you know use the people attacking him to sort of hit off, each other off balance each other he grabs clarice's spear and breaks it yes which angers her big deal and right at the last minute um 
she's about to like start smacking him around. Luke we get Luke crosses the river with the flag. He sort of winning. just shows up with the flag, which in which is how it happens in the book. Like we're so <laughs> focused on Percy is meant as a distraction. There's no like and there's no like goal marker or anything. It's they just like just across the river. That's what the marker is. In the show, he just arrives with the flag and plants it in the ground and says, we won. No, you hear the conch go off because he crossed the river. The river's right there. Like you, He doesn't cross anything. He, he just does. shows up. No. He didn't come through the water. He just no. arrives to where they are. I'm not, no. <laughs> I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that that's what happened. It, no, it wasn't it, necessary to show any particular thing for the filmmaking technique. It's just like, oh, he arrives. It's over now. <laughs> and Annabeth is there watching Percy the whole... He's She's been watching the whole time. And Percy's like, what the heck? You didn't even help out? I, I could have been toast back there. And Annabeth is like, no, I had a reason. And she pushes him into the sound. And... His wounds he, all start to heal magically. Yeah. Is he the Wolverine? No. Even he's better. A, he's the son of Poseidon. He's the son of Poseidon. Because when I was a small child and I didn't know what that word was, that's how I thought it was pronounced. Okay. <laughs> We're learning a lot about your per- past pronunciations in these couple days here, Tyler. Well, I am, at least. I say <laughs> the royal we. <laughs> I am important. What word were we talking about? Serendipity. Se- yeah, I, I, I did, uh, when I was a child, I didn't know how serendipity was pronounced. Forgive me. How dare. <laughs> And then, yeah, a, a magical trident appears above his which head, which is kind funny. of funny. <laughs> it was like comically big. And then we get some voiceover of Chiron saying, "Things aren't great for you. You're not supposed to be here." It's the forbidden child of the big three. And we see his—he's sort of lonely in his cabin. Yeah, he he makes his way to his cabin. And then Grover rushes in with Mister D and Chiron to be like, Percy. You gotta, you gotta, your mom's not dead. You gotta go to Hades to rescue her. And they were just explaining that, that he has, to go, he to, has to go to Hades to, to try get to get the Master Bolt. Right, we get the, the Master Bolt thing, which the whole thing's about. Someone stole the Master Bolt from Zeus. He's Blaming looking. Poseidon, yeah. because Poseidon's apparently always been spiteful that Zeus is king of all the gods. But there's he is a the youngest brother. one. Zeus is Zeus the youngest exactly one. Exactly, which is why he shouldn't be king of all the gods. <laughs> I, I think that younger siblings should have a claim to be in charge, personally. I'm on Zeus, Zeus's side Zeus here. Zeus manipulated the situation by the fact that he was the only one not eaten and traumatized. He didn't manipulate that. He happened to be the only no, one. No, but after the fact, he was the only one not dealing with extensive amounts of trauma that he's like, hey, you know what? If I'm going to be in charge. If you want to interpret it that way, you could also be like, he's the one who rescued all the other people. And therefore, claim to stake. Should get more stake in that claim. Like she was the one that made that whole plan in motion. He was a kid. I'm not going to defend the patriarchy here, Condra. <laughs> I just don't want Zeus to get mad at me. You can smite me. <laughs> smite me, Almighty Smiter. Let's go. <laughs> Condra, if you get Bruce Almighty powers, though, can you at least? Not make everybody win the lottery at the same time, but I just know me. Better. <laughs> I've seen the movie. Speaking of God powers, yeah. So 
Percy takes on the quest. He says, yes, I'll do it. Yeah. Mostly because he wants to get his mom back. He doesn't care about all this other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, is good personal stakes. Yeah. And they're starting to explain, oh, the quest will be of three people and stuff. So it's all coming together. And if you want personal steaks, check out our sponsor, Outback Steakhouse. I wish. No. <laughs> I can eat nothing there. <laughs> you can't eat a Bloomin' Onion? God, no. <laughs> God's, no. God's, no. That's right. <laughs> Take it. We're on this show. <laughs> Speaking of this show, Condra, we're going to talk about episode three next Tuesday. Until then... So until next time, you can find us on Instagram at Amateur Nerds. On Tumblr, we're at Wildcat Minute, but also add us on Tumblr about Camp Half Pod because we want to talk to you. And w- and what place would we talk about <laughs> why YA, YA fiction adaptations Classic if not Tumblr? Tumblr, <laughs> we're back. High School Musical, Percy Jackson, what Tumblr was made for. You can also send us an email to amateurnerdspresent at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know your favorite god. Why it is Zeus. Or why it is Ra. Oh yeah, it doesn't have to be Greek god. Yeah. Any god. Special thanks to our artists. Uh, We might have to mock up a logo of our own. But check out T Golden Art on Instagram, just for the sake of it. And And also check out JoeWinslowMusic.com. Just in case. Yeah. But there might not be theme music there for this show. <laughs> Maybe on the sign out. I've been Condra. I've been Tyler. We'll see you next time to find out if Percy goes on a quest. And if he doesn't, then you can call my food not blue. We're, we're going to try that outro. <laughs> that was the first Percy Jackson joke I could think of. <laughs> I was trying to come up with a catchphrase.